John chapter 1. If you have studied, uh, if you'd studied at Bible college, you would no doubt um, have looked in some detail at this particular passage. It contains loads of themes that you'll see, if you're familiar with John's writings, coming up again and again. It speaks about Jesus as the light. Light and darkness features, features as themes right through John's writings. It introduces Jesus as the create, co-creator with God the Father of everything. And uh, that has resonances in the Old Testament. Obviously, the first few words have resonances with Genesis. This idea that God created the world through Jesus has resonances with Proverbs, where we're told that wisdom, God used wisdom to, uh, to create the world, divine wisdom, and Jesus is identified as embodying that divine wisdom. Um, it has the theme of life and the idea that Jesus is the source of life for all people. Um, it introduces a very big theme, not only in John, but also in Paul and implicit in Jesus himself, that those who come to know God through Jesus do not only know uh, more about God, but they become his children. And that is the foundational revelation of the New Testament, that Jesus opened the gateway not only for us to be forgiven, not only for us to receive God's presence within us in the Holy Spirit, amazing as that is, but to be invited into the love that is shared in the heart of the Trinity itself. To share in the same relationship with God the Father that Jesus himself had and has. It introduces themes of grace and truth and contrasts the legal system that is given by Moses with all its thou shalt not to Jesus himself through whom comes not only truth but also grace. Well, there's an awful lot there and you would please know I don't intend to try and preach through all of those themes but uh, one could easily do a sermon series in this particular uh, section and, and reference what's going on in the rest of uh, in the, uh, the rest of John's Gospel. I want this morning to focus on light in the darkness, because that's our theme as we approach Christmas, and there's much about it here. And I just want to pull out, uh, pull out some reflections upon what it says here, that Jesus is the true light in verse 9. He is the true light. He is the true light in contrast to all sorts of other philosophies, spiritualities, that claim to be able to help or make sense of things. In contrast to all of those, Jesus is the true light. So I was reflecting on light this week. Um, I was thinking, there's something quite nice about going, if you're, if you're a football fan, going to a midweek game in the, in the evening with the floodlights on. You kind of walk out of the darkness outside the stadium. You walk into the stadium and suddenly you're struck. The grass looks really green and bright. And, uh, and there's something quite amazing about going into this arena in the middle of the night that is really lit up, just like it's daytime. 
Having said that, the way Watford have been playing recently, I think they'd take their chances without the floodlights on. They'd stand more of a, more of a chance of winning, I think. But if you think about your life for a moment, how would it feel to you if God put the floodlights on to your life, into your heart and into your mind? Um, throughout John's Gospel, there is this emphasis that we are called to live in the light. There's all sorts of um, reflections on it. Jesus himself said, didn't he, that there's nothing that has been done in the darkness that won't ultimately be brought to the light. One of the marks of a, a good society is a free press, because the press can bring the truth out. How would you feel if, you know, journalists got to grips with your life? Boris Johnson is experiencing that right now, isn't he? As what's been done behind closed doors is now starting to emerge into the light and suddenly it looks very different. I felt tremendous compassion for that lady this week, foolishly making jokes at the podium and it all seemed like good fun at the time. Then suddenly the light comes on. And she was a broken woman, wasn't she? The press, they're not particularly merciful, are they? But it's important we get to the truth. How would you feel if the floodlights went on to your life and all, all your inner dialogue, all what's gone on in your life was brought out? Do you know, in one sense, this is quite threatening, this idea of Jesus as the light because God never turns a blind eye to anything. It's very easy to rush to condemn politicians of all stripes, I'm not making any party political points here, and when they've done wrong, they should be held to account, of course. But there's a reason why Jesus warns us against becoming judgmental in our hearts, because how would we fare? We'll say more about that next week, actually. But Jesus is the true light. There's all sorts of philosophies out there. If you go to, the, if you go to Amazon and type self-help, um, if I move this up a bit, is it less likely to ring? It's quite distracting. Let me uh, see if that's any better. Um, there's lots of philosophies out there. If you type into Google self-help or, you know, spirituality, Goodness me, you'll get a lot of options. There's all sorts of ideas and thoughts and philosophies and belief systems out there, um, from the big religions right through to more modern creations, fusions of religions. You can, get into, you can go to life coaches or mentoring. Uh, and it, there's some wisdom in all of them, of course. I'm not saying there's no wisdom to be found in them. And most, um, most systems of uh, spirituality or self-help, when they apply to the individual, normally go down one of two paths. They either present you with law. So, for example, if you buy a book on dieting, uh, the truthful ones will tell you that there are some fundamental laws and you can't buck them. If you eat more than you burn, you will put on weight. That's it. And then there's the ones that propose to have a secret. 
or, or some kind of way to buck the system. You can certainly find these with dieting books, can't you? Actually, you can eat as much as you like as long as you only eat this type of food or that type of food. There's a secret. And this is true not only in dieting, that is a massive industry, by the way, there's a lot of money in it, um, but it's true in the spiritual life. How do you become a better person? How do you become more at peace? Well, somebody can give you rules, and the rules might be true, and they also might give you secrets, a little way to circumvent the normal rules if you just do something a bit clever. There are hundreds of books, podcasts, you can watch them endlessly, but if the Bible is true, they will all run into, ultimately, the same basic problem. And that is, the issue is, that, is not that we don't have enough information. The issue is, inside of us, there is a weakness. We tend to see the world and see our own lives in such a way that we're always favouring, our, our judgement is not fair, and we also lack the inner strength to live, even when we do know what the rules are, we lack the inner strength to live it out. Moses gave the children of Israel rules, and these rules are good. There's nothing wrong with them. Paul says elsewhere, the law given by Moses is holy and good and true, but it won't help you in the end. All it will do is expose the fact you can't live perfectly. See, if I said to you all this morning, and if you're watching online, you can reflect on this as well. If I said to you, right, it's very simple. If you want to be acceptable to God and at peace with yourself, just only do good things and never do anything bad. It's dead simple, isn't it? Well, you can delude yourself all you like, but there hasn't been a human being other than Jesus that's ever managed to do it. The pain we cause each other and ourselves through our shortcomings, we don't even live up to our own standards, do we? Let alone the perfect standards that God has for us. He has very high aspirations for us. And no self-help system is going to work. No spirituality that just gives you rules is going to work. And there's no spiritual technique that you can use that's really going to deal with this. Much modern spirituality basically seems to say, right, you're at the centre of your universe and here's a few techniques you can use, meditation, whatever it might be, and that'll kind of get you into a peaceful situation and you can carry on. But it doesn't deal properly with what's going on at the heart of us. The nagging doubt that we are not the people we should be. I mean, forgive me, if you know for sure that you have always lived as you should, then these words don't apply to you. But if, like me, deep in the heart of who you are, you have to acknowledge you're not as you should be, then Jesus comes into the world and he comes into your world and he says, if you'll stop putting yourself at the centre of the universe and put me there instead, then you'll encounter the true light. Well, what, what claim does John make about Jesus that makes him able to say such an elevated thing? He, he 
we're told here that he was with God in the beginning. Very mysterious words. What does that mean? What was the beginning? He has always been with God. That God made everything through him. So he owns you whether you'll accept it or not because he made you. And he made the whole universe. And in him is life. When I was a teenager, it looked to me as if life would be much more exciting without Jesus in it. I could just go and make myself the centre of the universe. Within a few short years, I did not like what I had become. If you want real life, as John puts it on the words of Jesus, life in all its fullness, you will find it when you come to the true light. I'm particularly fond of verse 5. If you've got it in front of you, just have a look at that. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And if you, um, if you have the NIV, you'll see there's a translation note uh, at the bottom of the page. Um, the word overcome, it's uncertain, the translation. Um, it could mean overcome it in the sense that the light shines and the darkness can't put it out. In another sense, it could mean the light, the darkness can't understand it. it, it the darkness thinks in a different way. I think um, whichever of these was in John's mind when he wrote this down, inspired by the, the Holy Spirit, I think um, both of those ideas are true. I humbly suggest to the NIV the word comprehend might be good because it carries both of those meanings. The light cannot comprehend, sorry, the darkness cannot comprehend the light. The devil couldn't comprehend Jesus. He sent Jesus to the cross thinking he'd won, and it was the greatest defeat he'd ever suffered. In the end, because of the way that God has established things, and because of his active interest, evil is self-defeating. It may take a long time. It may look as though evil is winning. But in the end, evil is self-defeating. It always overreaches itself and exposes itself in the process. You can see that throughout history. Equally, no matter how frail the light is, I mean, these candles are, are not strong sources of light in here, are they? And, um, and could, in one sense, I could blow them out. But while they are burning, it doesn't matter how dark it gets in here, you will be able to see them. In fact, the darker it gets, the more clearly you'll be able to see them because of the contrast. There's no way in one sense in which darkness in and of itself can put out light. It can't. As long as the light keeps shining, Jesus will shine forever. He is the true light. You can go looking for all other sources of light. There are millions of them out there. But if Jesus is the creator... If Jesus is the source of life, then it is foolish to be looking for light elsewhere, true light elsewhere. Look to Jesus. We live in a solar system, um, which means that the sun is at the centre 
of the universe. A really good image, actually, a really good illustration. Maybe God did this quite deliberately. Light is at the centre of our universe. It's at the centre of our solar system. And um, it's amazing when you think about it how the whole thing is set up. So that we get a few hours of daylight and a few hours of dark each day, unless you live at the extremes of the, uh, the globe. Light and darkness alternates. We rest in the darkness, we live in the light, unless you're unfortunate enough to have shift work, I suppose. And it's true in your, that's a picture of your and my life. Jesus is at the center of the right sort of life. And when Jesus is at the center and we're revolving around him, everything fits very nicely. Problem for humanity is we constantly want to get ourselves at the center and we're not very good at doing that. We become very unpleasant people actually when we're trying to make everything revolve around us. Your life is not meant to be at the center of the universe. It's meant to be revolving around Jesus. Like me, I guess, you want to be a good person. I hope you do. And, um, and when you haven't been a good person, when you know you've acted selfishly or you haven't told the truth to, so that you can protect, protect yourself from the realities of the truth, um, it's very uncomfortable. You can lie to yourself and pretend things aren't as bad as they are, but, you know, we've all done it. We've all fallen short, Paul says, of the glory of God. We've all decided to go our own way and be willful. And, um, and it's very natural to us to think in terms of the rules and then to start changing the rules so that the rules accommodate us. I want to close by reflecting on this, this verse. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is very important in terms of understanding the relationship between the Old Testament and the New, but also in terms of understanding how God works in our lives. The Lord revealed through Moses his standards. He gave us this list of rules, the Ten Commandments, and then all the other rules in the Old Testament for all their different purposes. And he said, Moses said, do these things and you shall live. Live pure. Live holy lives. Honour your parents. Don't lie to each other. Tell the truth. Be people of integrity. Don't be violent. Be peace-loving. And so on. And then Jesus took this a step further when he gave his famous Sermon on the Mount. He said, Haha, I've got some really bad news for you now. If you thought those laws were difficult enough, he said, you know it says you shouldn't commit adultery. You, you shouldn't uh, if, you're, if you're married, you shouldn't have sex with anyone else uh, than, than your other half. If you're, um, if you're not married, you shouldn't be having sex at all. He said it's much worse than that. Here's what God really wants from you. Don't start judging other people by their sexual value to you. Don't lust after people. He said, you know, it says in the Old Testament that you shouldn't commit uh, murder. Well, here's what, I, here's what I'm telling you, says Jesus. Don't look on other people with contempt, ever. 
have a heart that is open to others and loves them and looks for the best in them. You've heard, uh, he said, about taking oaths. He said, I'm telling you, don't take any oaths. Just be a simple person of truth. Um, just let your yes mean yes and your no be no. Keep things very simple and only tell the truth. Have truth in your inner parts, as David puts it in the psalm. So Jesus is really up in the ante. He says, it's not even enough to have external conformity to the law. Your heart's got to be totally different to the way humans' hearts are, are made. You've got to be filled with compassion and love and integrity and respect and truthfulness. How will we ever do it? I heard a preacher once say, the law is a bit like uh, being married to someone who is always right. Forgive me, those of you who've been doing uh, Galatians with me because I use this illustration. Imagine this, being married to someone who is always right and never lifts a finger to help you. Anybody having that experience? <laughs> That's what the law does. And in the end, all it does is expose our sin. Paul makes this point. All it does is it leaves us broken before God and admitting we are not who we should be. But here's the thing. In the New Testament, something new has happened. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, we read that God comes into our lives if we will reach out to him, if we will reach out to God, kneel at the foot of the cross and say, the death that Jesus died, I deserve. If we'll kneel there and say that prayer, then not only will God forgive us in a judicial sense, but he'll send his very presence into our lives to begin to straighten us out. I've talked to a number of people over, the re over recent weeks about what happened to them when they became a Christian. Think of two conversations I've had like that in particular. In both occasions, their experience resonated with mine that when they prayed that prayer and really meant it and reached out to God, suddenly some things changed overnight. And then other things have taken a very long time to change. But it begins a process of God changing us. And I want to finish with this illustration. Um, I guess some of you are still watching Strictly. I must admit, it's run out of steam as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but uh, I, some of you probably still, I'm sure, watching it. And... Um, Here's the thing, right? The, it, it, it's a great illustration of the way God works in our lives, this. You get these guys who turn up and, I mean, it does seem to me it's all a bit unfair because some of them are already good at dancing, right? Some of them are already performers and stuff. But anyway, some of them have never danced a step in their lives. Now, if their dancing partner simply instructed them, they wouldn't grow very much, would they? The judges are quite brutal, aren't they, sometimes? Craig Revel Horwood, or whatever his name is, I mean, he's the, he's the, he plays a bad guy, doesn't he? I'm sure it's all worked out to keep you watching. But he plays a bad guy, and he, he really lays into them. They, do, they don't do a thing to help them. They just tell them where they've got it wrong. That's the law. But their dance partners not only tell them how to improve, but actually dance with them, hold them and teach them the steps, dance with them. 
And when they stand before the judges, uh, quite often the dance partners will try and protect their partners, won't they, from the judgment. I think it's a beautiful illustration of what happens when God comes into our lives in, and the grace that we receive through Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. The law, and you can add to that all the self-help spiritualities you can find, are all about trying to establish you through rules that you won't be able to keep or teaching you secrets that don't really exist quite often. But when Jesus comes into your life, he dances with you. He teaches you the steps he holds you. And he will lead you to becoming a really good dancer in time if you just stick with it. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, the gracious work of the Holy Spirit. So the question is this morning, are you dancing with Jesus or are you trying to become a good dancer some other way? Jesus is available, we're told by Paul, he is not far from any one of us. In God we move and live and have our being. Jesus is available. Sometimes we've started on a path with him and then we've turned our back and walked our own way. We think we know better than the one who made us. This Christmas, Jesus reminds us once again that he is the true light. In him is life. There's no other way. All other ways are doomed to failure ultimately. But if you will come to Jesus, you can be delivered from all your shortcomings. And whilst God will always present you with the truth, he will always offer you grace. God bless you.